You know, I, w I was thinking as I was uh, riding my bike this morning, and I promise I won't do bike metaphors always, but it just worked this morning because I haven't been riding much, and uh, so it was a little harder this morning. And the hardest part is actually the very first hill on Lapidum Road. It's a, it's a steep hill. And as I was riding it, I would look up at the hill, top of the hill, but then I would pay just attention to the next bicycle you know, cycle that I was riding step by step. And that was the way that I got myself up the hill. I would every once in a while look at the you know, top of the mountaintop, but then I would go back down and take each step towards there. And it wasn't as if all the steps were, you know, the only point of the steps were to get to the top. Each step made sense in where I was at the time. And that's a lot of what Martin Luther King's faith um, story and cycling was about, about just take those steps. Every single one is important to the mountaintop, which one may never see, but is there. So I'm just thinking about that. A reading of uh, Martin Luther King's, and we'll be hearing a lot this morning because the best way to render him is through his words, you know. But this is from a, uh, a uh, speech that he made on 25th of March, 1965. Our God is marching on. Just give you a little bit of it. We're on the move now. The burning of our churches will not deter us. We're on the move now. The bombing of our homes will not dissuade us. We're on the move now. The beating and killing of our clergymen and young people will not divert us. We're on the move now. The arrest and release of known murderers will not discourage us. We are on the move now. Like an idea whose time has come, not even the marching of mighty armies can halt us. We are moving to the land of freedom. Let us therefore continue our triumph and march to the realization of the American dream. The road ahead is not altogether a smooth one. There are no broad highways to lead us easily and inevitably to quick solutions. We must keep going. And I must admit to you that there were still jail cells waiting for us, dark and difficult moments. We will go with that faith that nonviolence and its power transformed dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. We will be able to change all of these conditions. Our aim must never be to defeat or humiliate the white man, but to win his friendship and understanding. We must come to see that the end we seek is a society at peace with itself, a society that can live with its conscience. That will be a day, not of the white man, not of the black man. That will be the day of man, as man. I know you're asking today, how long will it take? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not take long. Because truth pressed to earth will rise again. Here ends the reading. Now the offering for the services and ministries of this fellowship will be given and received. If you're a first time visitor, please consider this uh, time as your guest. We have no expectations in the offering.
the greatest movement for social justice our country has ever known, wrote womanist author Bell Hooks, is the civil rights movement, and it was totally rooted in a love ethic. And I didn't know this at first when I uh, you know, went to Union Theological Seminary. I thought, you know, righteousness, we're going to right the wrongs, we're going to have justice reign, we're going to do all these great things, we're going to change people, we're going to change all this. And I didn't really realize that it was love that moved people into other places, that love transforms, that when we sit in righteousness, we're creating an us and them just like anyone else. We're creating a way of being that isn't any different, just looks different to us. That the kind of justice that we want, the kind of full civil rights for all people, will look different than any of us can imagine. And to be able to welcome that into our life, the discomfort of that, the newness of that, has to be a deep faith, an affirmation of life, a love. I thought for a long time justice is about fighting. It's not about fighting. Sometimes it is about taking power away from the powerful, but it's, it's about transforming that power into not, and, and reassigning it into a different way. It's, it's not reassigning it. It's, it's transforming the power into a shared power, into a way that feeds and nourishes everyone, which does change for those that are in power. I mean, so they do feel like it's taken away from them, but it's actually just sort of spread out so that we become fully and wholly powerful. That's the vision. So when we do fight language and battle language, we really are just continuing the same cycle. And we see this in our history. What you're doing when you use the love ethic, which is what Dr. Martin Luther King was doing, is drawing out the deep knowledge of justice within. The knowledge that knows we are equally worthy. We are equally invited into this life. We equally belong. It's a knowledge that we lose sight of because of fear, because of greed, because of abuse of power, because of revenge, because of pain. But that knowledge, that deep justice within, that mutual recognition, that comes from love. Everybody can be great, King preached in 1968 sermon entitled The Drum Major Instinct, because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. What faith can do, and the deep faith that Dr. Martin Luther King was, was um, con um, communicating, is take away our habituated log logic, take away the way we think the world works and switch it, sort of flip it over, almost sometimes feel counterintuitive in the way the world will work if all were treated equally. 
we take our way of being for granted, we do not examine it. And that is what Martin Luther King was doing. He was saying, see, see how we are. That was what the nonviolent um, behavior was. See how you are. If it's not countered with violence, then it becomes very clear what's going on. Faith urges us to a sense of something outside ourselves that relates us in a positive way to the way we live. It is a discipline that can help us ease out of self-centrism and into a longing for harmony of being. That longing can override our defensiveness and our cynicism, but we need constant reminders because that's hard to stay in that place of faith. But this is the stuff of a just and compassionate world. It's what happens when we meet each other on a plane of understanding with the risk of compassion through the strength of mutual regard. It's about returning to the knowledge of our mutual worth. It's about finding once again ourselves in the other. It's about seeing what we always knew underneath our defenses, that sacred formula of our lives, the justice in our lives, is shared power. The justice in our lives is what can create beloved community. At the Victory Rally in 1956, following the announcement of a favorable US Supreme Court decision desegregating the seats on Montgomery's buses, Dr. King affirmed, the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit, he said, and this type of love that can transform opponents into friends. Flip the logic. It is this type of understanding goodwill that will transform the deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of men. The love that Dr. King was talking about was not, is not an easy love. It's a love that dares us to recognize this life that we borrow, this miracle we manifest for a time and prods us to respond with dignity and humility. It's a revolutionary love that breeds courage in the face of danger, defiance in the face of injustice, and faith in the face of cynicism. It's a love that is both tough and tender, shrewd and forgiving, strong and unrelenting. A love that transcends personal gain a love that sees and hears and reveals the avoidance of harmony, a love that flows from the source of all being. Whether we call it an unconscious process, Dr. King offered, an impersonal Brahmin, or a personal being of matchless power and infinite love, there is a creative force in this universe that works to bring the disconnected aspects of reality into a harmonious whole. Sounds pretty universalist, doesn't it? Dr. King and Coretta Scott King actually felt an affinity with Unitarian Universalists. Rosemary Bray McNatt, a, a UU minister up in uh, uh, Manhattan had the opportunity to meet Coretta Scott King because she's a writer and they, they were thinking maybe she would help 
um, with the uh, autobiography of Coretta Scott King. And she said at the time, oh, I went to Unitarian, the Coretta Scott King said, oh, I went to Unitarian churches for years, even before I met Martin. Rosemary Bratt uh, says she told me, explaining that she had been, since college, a member of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, which was popular among Unitarian Universalists. And Martin and I went to Unitarian churches when we were in Boston. What surprised and saddened me, writes McNatt, most was what she said next. And though I am paraphrasing, the gist of it was this. We gave a lot of thought to becoming Unitarian at one time, but Martin and I realized we could never build a mass movement of black people if we were Unitarian. King was invited to speak at the UUA General Assembly in May 1966. He delivered the Ware Lecture, a highly esteemed speaking engagement. He began with generosity of spirit. There are those wonderful moments, he wrote, he said, in life when you speak before a group that is so near and dear to you that you don't feel like you have to engage in the art of persuasion. You don't feel like you're in the midst of strangers. You know that you are with friends. I can assure you that I feel that way tonight. And he proceeded to speak to his friends, urging them, as his title suggested, don't sleep through the revolution. He wrote, he, this is some of his words, most revolutions in the past have been based on hope and hate, with the rising expectations of the revolutionaries implemented by hate for the perpetrators and an unjust system in the old order. I think the different thing about the revolution that has taken place in our country is that it has maintained the hope element and at the same time it has added the dimension of love. Many people would disagree with me and say that love hasn't been there. I think we have to stop and talk about what we mean in this context because I would be the first to say that it is nonsense to urge oppressed people to love their violent oppressors in an affectionate sense. And I'm certainly not talking about when I talk about love standing at the center of our struggle. I think it is necessary to see the meaning of love in higher terms. He talked about agape, an understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men, an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. When one rises to love on this level, one loves a person who does the evil deed while hating the deed. I believe that in our best moments in this struggle, we have tried to adhere to this. In some strange way, we have been able to stand up in the face of our most violent opponents and say, in substance, we will match your capacity to inflict suffering with our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with our soul force. Soul force. That's what he was talking about in terms of all those faith gatherings come to a deeper understanding of feeling of that justice within, a knowing of an eternity beyond our lives, beyond our ability to control whatever we are in. That soul force is what can inform us and help us create a life that comes to beloved community.
There's something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. King uttered on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. And the civil rights movement would not have lasted without soul force. It would not have penetrated through the hatred and the apathy and the lethargy and the looking the other way. The soul force was something that was not avoidable. And that's how step by step, movement by movement, the civil rights uh, movement came to some place of progression. We, of course, need to do a lot more, and we need to not sleep during any of the revolution or any of the movements. The role of the church, Dr. King preached in 1966, is to free people, people who are slaves to prejudices, slaves to fear. The church is called to free those that are captive. You see, the church is not a social club, he continues. The church is not an entertainment center. The church has a purpose. The church is dealing with ultimate concern. The civil rights movement was and continues to be about the soul of our nation and the journey toward wholeness in all of our societies. One more. In 1968, King said these prophetic words, history has thrust upon our generation an indescribably important destiny to complete a process of democratization which our nation has long developed too slowly. How we deal with this crucial situation will determine our moral health as individuals, our cultural health as a region, our political health as a nation, and our prestige as a leader of the free world. Days later, on April 4th, Dr. King was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. Months later, the 1968 summer riots in LA and Chicago devastated a nation. We could look at this history cynically and think that King's words were too idealistic. Or we could look at the fact that we are still commemorating his faith, that we are still saying, let's have a day on and not a day off, that we are still loving the love that Martin Luther King brought to us, described to us, gave us in his life. So let us keep on keeping on and find that beloved community. So may it be. Amen. <laughs>